Well, good morning. It's, uh, it's good to see all of you here today. Um, I don't know what brought you to church this morning, but what brought me to church this morning, other than the fact that I'm the preacher, is the fact that um, there's a bit of a heaviness of heart for me. Um, like many of you, I'm grieving all the violence that's been going on in our culture over the last few weeks, and it seems as if Things like Columbine, which was the sort of the defining youth event of, of when I was doing youth ministry, is now like, you know, on steroids. Like that's, that's happening on a regular basis, not necessarily just in schools, but now in, in mall areas or Walmarts and, and on and on. And I am troubled by what I see. But don't, don't, don't worry. This is not going to be a political sermon. I don't preach those political sermons. But I do seek out the answer that God would have for us in the midst of it. How are we to respond in the times of crisis that we find ourselves in? When I am in those places, I often turn to an author who uh, over the years has been helpful to me, uh, Philip Yancey. Maybe you know the name. Uh, he's written lots of books over the years, a pretty popular Christianity Today, kind of a, a mainstream evangelical writer. He wrote a book called Where is God When It Hurts? that sold, according to this jacket cover, 1.5 million copies uh, years ago, and recently has written a book called The Question That Never Goes Away, Why? And I know it's a good book because it's got Mary Langland's name written in it. If you don't know Mary, she's the head of our prayer intercessions ministry. And Mary, I don't know how I got a hold of your book, but anyway, it was a great read and it was a great reread for me this week to be reminded of what Yancey says. And here in a nutshell, is what I think Yancey says. When God oftentimes addresses the issues of crisis, of turmoil, natural disasters, or human-made disasters like uh, mass shootings, the Lord does not oftentimes give us the why. He doesn't give us the cause. He doesn't answer with, this is the cause of this problem. Rather, he calls the church, the people of faith, to respond. He calls us to a response. Now it's interesting because when I first came to these scriptures at the beginning of the week and I told David, I said, you know, I'm going to preach on faith because it's right there. Uh, and I didn't mind. I, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about the Genesis 18 passage. I didn't understand why the 18 came before 15 because 15 is where Abram receives righteousness. He is made righteous because of his belief because he put his whole trust, his entire weight upon God's promises. God said, I know you're really, really old, but you're going to have a child. You're going to have an heir. And in fact, your descendants will be as numerous as the grains of sand as of the stars of the sky. And we are told in Genesis 15 that Abram, who would become Abraham, believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is uh, an important scripture, Genesis 15. It is not anything we do that we're made righteous, that we're put right with God. It is only by faith in God himself, that God himself will act on our behalf. Supremely, as Jesus enters our world as a man and dies on the cross of Calvary. It is our faith in God that saves us, that puts us in right standing by God. But I, I was going to preach on that, but then all these things, even as I was preaching last week, I didn't realize these 
these terrible atrocities were unfolding and, and just one after another, and they keep escalating. And I think our tendency as human beings is to retreat to enclaves. And we're thankful, by the way, to a few teenagers in the room, because you're an amazing group of young adults. And um, I'm privileged to be your priest. And um, it's great to have the, the young adults we have in this congregation. But there aren't enough. And you saw the children. There, they aren't enough. We can't simply retreat into our enclaves. We can't simply take care of our own and hope for the best. Now is not the time to retreat. Now is the time to, as Philip Yancey says, over and over God calls in the scriptures that we would respond in the face of crisis by acting, by being the people of God in the midst of a broken world and take on the challenge head on. I believe that's what our gospel lesson directs us to here. Isn't it almost ironic that, that Jesus begins the scripture, fear not little flock? I mean, two things come out there, right? Fear not little flock. First of all, they weren't a big group. Twelve disciples, some women that supported the ministry uh, uh, they financially and, as we know, the women do in lots of other ways. And it's a small group, and yet Jesus tell, talks to his disciples, and he says, Fear not, little flock. Don't be afraid in the face of what you see, the overwhelming odds that seem to be against you. Fear not, for, Jesus says, it is the Father's will to give you the kingdom, to give you everything that he has promised you. Did you notice in the Hebrew passage that Don read that there's this sense in which, yes, it's faith, the faith of, of Abel, the faith of Enoch, the faith of Moses, the faith of Noah, etc., etc. But there's also this sense in which the writer of Hebrews is saying that why were they able to have faith in the face of overwhelming odds? It was because they had their eyes and their minds set towards another place, a city, something that God had promised them that they were moving towards something. At camp, I freaked all the kids out by announcing that I thought we should have a sixth day of summer camp, which they thought was great. And I said, and, but I was basically just, it was, it was a bad preacher move. I was just using something really provocative to make a point, which is that we, we oftentimes in our, in our camp schedule, we talk about creation, fall and redemption. We talk about the church. We talk about sanctification, being made holy, and we talk about our mission, but we don't talk about the end, the new creation, the, the holy city Jerusalem, the, what we're headed for, that this, is, this life is not all there is. That one day Jesus said he would make all things new. You see, if you want to know why I think why we're having this crisis among our young men in the culture, it's because they have been eating and feasting on the worldview that our culture has been teaching them for years, which is basically that it doesn't matter. It's all social construct. We're all here by random choice. This life is all there is. There is no ultimate purpose, no greater virtues or values to live for. And guess what? They have bought it. And they feasted upon entertainment until they're sick of video games and fast food and malls. And so now they've become nihilist. Those who believe that there is no reason to live, that it's just 
waste of time and, and, and they're reacting. I don't know why we're surprised when we see the sinfulness and brokenness of humanity playing itself out in, in perverse men in our culture and in depraved and indifferent young men. Not a good sermon for guys. Sorry, guys. But the Hebrew writer says that the people of God live by faith. Not simply that God will carry them through the, the trial of the moment, but that ultimately he is bringing them to a place that is far better than where they've been. And is that hope that carries them forward. Do you know that, that non-religious populations, I've learned this from sociologists, uh, do, not, do not reproduce themselves. Western Europe is dying. There will be a day when there will be no Italians living in Italy because Italians have ceased to have children. They, two people get married, they may have one child. That's a negative growth of their population. It's only religious cultures and people groups that produce. Why? Well, the sociologist who happens to be a Christian suggests that it's because it's only, it's only those who have a belief that there is something else beyond this world that feel that it's worth it to bring children into the world, at least enough to increase the population rather than to see it diminish over centuries and centuries. Look at New England. People have one, if at all, any children. The New England part of our United States. Europe's the same way. But now Africa, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, South America, populations are growing. Why? Because there is a religious faith, even if it's not Christian. There's a belief that there's something beyond. There is something worth living for. It is a hope and a future that they are seeking to live out. The writer of Hebrews says that God's people see a hope. There's a, there's a point in the Old Testament where, where it's clear that God is about to judge Israel, the Judah, the southern kingdom, and they're about to go into exile. And so it's, it's sort of like mayhem and, you know, it's like the stock market is, is completely crashed, you know, commerce is gone, it's lawlessness, and there's all sorts of things happening. So to kind of put it in a modern perspective, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm trying to draw a picture for you. And, and God calls the prophet to buy a piece of land in the midst of this crumbling Israel. Seems like the most ludicrous thing in the world. And that's what the prophet says. Why would I buy a piece of property? You know, it's like, you know, buy a, as an, an advancing army is about to conquer you. I want you to buy this piece of property. And it's because God says, I want you to demonstrate faith in the midst of crisis that you're going to buy property. You're going to make an investment in the future, even in the face of crisis and turmoil. And that's exactly what Jesus says as he goes on. He says, the Father, it's the Father's goodwill to give you the kingdom, so therefore you are to make investments. Make investments. Do just the opposite. Don't retreat into your enclave, but invest Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide for yourselves money bags that will not grow old and treasure in heaven that does not fail where thief approaches and, there's, 
and moth does not destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Jesus is saying, invest Buy that land. Now, how do we do that? What does that look like? It's in making investments in things that will not be destroyed, that will not deteriorate, that cannot be stolen. It's, it's investing in relationships. Remember the, the shrewd um, steward that Jesus tells the parable, and he's about to get fired, and so he runs around and he reduces the, the debt bill of all of his master's uh, debtors. And then after he's fired, he goes to them and he has favor with them. And Jesus says, you know, the, the children of this world are, 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 are wiser, are more shrewd than the children of God. And he's, he's not saying cook the books. That's not the moral story. He's saying invest in relationships. If you're a parent or a grandparent or a great-grandparent in this room, Make investments not only in your children or grandchildren or great-grandchildren, but in their friends. The wonderful thing about youth and children is that they are incredible networkers, at least when they're awake. One sleeping up in the balcony, but I can't get her attention. Um, they are incredible networkers. You, we, we can't just simply take care of our own kids or grandkids. Because they're going to either influence their peers or they're going to be influenced by their peers. It is not neutral. It is never neutral. But our tendency is to say, well, I'm just going to take care of my child and get him through there. You know, that, that's, that's such not the mentality that Christ is talking about here. He, when he's talking about making kingdom investments, he is saying, look beyond your own. He doesn't say sell all your possessions. I think sometimes we read that and we think, ah, oh, Jesus wants me to get rid of my stuff. Ugh, not going to think about that. Wish I hadn't come to church today. You know, this is, this is affecting my 401k, you know, or my retirement home plans. But um, it's not what he says. But he says, but he is saying divest yourself of some of your possessions. Free up some of your money to invest in things that will not be destroyed, that, that moths can't eat through and thieves can't steal. Make investments in the lives of your teenagers. I'm, I'm so thankful for, the, the, for Jody's leadership in that with our kids. We, we tried to invest in all of our kids' friends and relationships, and now we spend all of our time going to their weddings and, um, and <laughs> you know, and counseling them and, you know, and it, but, but, but what more worthy of our time than to be investing in the lives? Some of you are teachers. Some of you are police officers that work in the school system. Some of you are, are, are in positions where you are influencing young adults at whatever age. See that as, the, as Jesus' practical way of, of doing the very thing he calls us to here, making investments. Ken, Lang, Ken, Lang, Ken Campbell, Ken Langland's here, Ken Campbell is going to make an investment in the local pastors of our congregations. This, this Thursday, uh, over at the Alachua County Christian Pastors Association meeting, Ken is going to talk about his reading program, Great Leaps, not as a pitch to sell the product, but as a way for churches to teach children how to read because our school system is failing in doing that. 
And they can link a lack of reading skill and, and learning with violent activity. And so look for ways. We have such a network of people here. Jesus is saying invest. You see how it's the opposite of retreating back in the face of the crisis? Press forward. Take the fight back to the enemy. Invest in the lives of children. We can do that by praying for our kids and our grandchildren. Praying for those who work on the front lines. Teachers and youth pastors and children's ministers and young life leaders and intervarsity staff and others that work for our children. I'm getting nervous. All the kids are leaving the, the congregation, so they'll be back. But make the investment. Jody and I were at camp this year. It was such a blessing to have her there uh, because she has a, a abilities that I don't have. And, and she was able to work with kids that I couldn't, wouldn't know what to do with. And, and, and so we both were able to hit, interact. And I don't know, but there's something going on, you guys. There's, there's, a, there's a sense in which the Lord is beginning to move in a, in a powerful way to say, in the face of the crisis you see in our culture, it is time for us to engage even in a greater way. That's what we're called to do. Jesus goes on to say we're to be ready. Now, I usually don't feel very manly wearing this dress. It's part of the humility that is taking up my cross and following Jesus. But in this case, there is a sense in which I can relate to what Jesus is saying here because the connotation is, you know, they wore sort of like toga-type uh, garments in the, you know, in the Middle Eastern area. And so Jesus, but when they would fight, they would grab up, you know, and they would pull it up so they could really fight. Because you really can't fight well in a dress. And so they'd pull it up. They'd gird themselves up ready for battle. That's what Jesus is saying here. Be ready. Be made ready for battle. Cowboy ready. You know how the old Westerns, the cowboys would had their hat down over their eyes, but they had their gun by them. They were wearing their boots so they could jump up at any moment. That's the connotation that we're to be ready for the opportunities. Now, Jesus is, is talking about his return. He's offering opportunities to remind them that they need to be ready for when he comes back. But, but sometimes there's opportunities that he's preparing us for to step through. Relationships with young people that we could encounter. I, I, I can't help but wonder... Where were the youth pastors and the parents of the friends of these boys as they grew up? Where were the opportunities to inter, intervene in their lives and bring the hope of the gospel? I can tell you, and Beth Kirby, she's at home today with Aiden, but Beth would tell you, we know for a fact there have been some, some young men who've come through Camp Araminta over the last 14 years that could have easily been on the headlines of our local paper. That's how horrible their home lives were and how destructive a path they were on. Not in every case, obviously, but some cases. Are we ready to step into those places? Are we, are we ready to, to be an example to others of how you engage with youth? I'm so proud when I hear about our men inviting our teenage boys into, uh, like, small groups. Great. 
I, I love when I see older people engaging with our teenagers, not to make it all about them. Obviously, I mean, we're not a youth worshiping congregation. That's not what we're talking about, but investing in them and being ready to step into relationships. I'm going to tell you what teenagers and older children won't tell you is that they want to have relationships with adults who care about them, who ask about them. Not who just tell them what they should and shouldn't do and, and preach to them, but, but ones who want to know who they are and invest in their lives. Every young man, every guy in this room will tell you at that age, that's what they wanted, was a, a healthy relationship with an older person. They're not going to tell you that because that's not cool. But I'm going to tell you that because I haven't been cool for a really long time. So it doesn't, I don't lose any social value in saying that. I wear a dress and I cry sometimes. So what are you going to do? Yeah, what are you going to do? What do you take? Come on, take a shot at me. Be ready, Jesus says. Make investments. I want you to catch the, the gospel embedded in this passage. Um, it's, it's right there in verse 37. It, it's so subtle, you almost lost it. Jesus is talking about the return of the master and will the, will the servants be ready and it, will it be the second or the third watch? That's the, that's, the, that's the early morning. That's like the 2 to 6 a.m., the, the time you really want to sleep. 37, blessed are those servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly I say to you, he will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and will come and serve them. What does that remind you of? The Last Supper, right? That's not what's, that's not what's supposed to happen here. The master doesn't come home and say, get ready, I'm going to make you a feast. The master says, fix me something to eat, make my bed ready, get my clothes ready for tomorrow. But that's not what happens here. Jesus is referring to himself. He is the one who comes and serves us. He demonstrates that at the Last Supper when he washes the feet of the disciples, and dries them with his, with his towel that he's had around him, and, 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 then he, and then he tells them, he demonstrates his love, that this is the way he's going to serve us, that he, he serves us principally at the cross, of course. He gives up his life. And then he says, now you do likewise. You see, there's the righteousness that comes from, by faith in God that puts us right with God. But then there's the righteous living that's also talked about in Scripture that is as we are put right with others, as we act right towards them, to be known as a righteous person. Friends, that is what we're being called to do to act righteously in a perverse, tormented, troublesome culture. Don't forget Sodom and Gomorrah. Remember 18, chapter 18, Genesis 18, I preached a couple weeks ago. What is it Abram prays? He intercedes not for the wicked of Sodom and Gomorrah, but for the righteous. And God says, I will not destroy this wicked city because there are 50 righteous people. And then Abram kind of gets him down, you know, down, to, down all the way to 10. Sadly, there weren't 10 righteous people in Sodom. 
But we can be those righteous people in the midst of a wicked culture. We can be those. Why, and why would, why would God spare the, the wicked for the righteous? So that the wicked might know redemption. They might turn from their ways and love and serve God. We bring the gospel. We're not shocked by the horrors of sin in our culture. We understand where sin comes from. But we know one who died for sin that we might be made new. And we bring that to a hurting world. Well, what can we do? We can respond as righteous men and women. We can, first of all, pray for the young people in this room, for the young people that we know, for our kids, our grandkids, for their friends. We can pray for youth leaders and teachers and counselors and police officers and those who have places of influence. And secondly, we can make investments in every young person we possibly can. It does make a difference. But beyond that, we've got to work past that. We need to be an example to others around us, churches around us, of what it means to make sacrificial investments in kids. And that's going to take money. So I'm here to tell you that I, I'm convinced that we need, we need to grow our budget so that we can increase our ministry to youth, children, and college students. We need to make that investment. And I want to say to you that anything more God calls you to give to this church will go to, do, to that end. Not that the ones who are working now are not doing a job. They're doing a great job, but it's so limited what they can do. We need to expand. We need to go on the offensive. We have seen what Camp Araminta can accomplish and what we can do in this congregation, and we need to go beyond that. We need to be influencers wherever we can. That's going to take money. Do you know how much money the culture throws at our children and teenagers? Do you have any idea how many billions of dollars they're spending to reach the hearts and minds of our children? Now is the time for us to make a more substantial investment in our children and youth. That's how serious I am about this. Whatever it takes, we're going to do it. And we're going to invest in partnerships with Young Life and others that will work with us to try to, to, to combat what is going on in our culture. But it's going to take every one of us, whether you're the prayer warrior, whether you're the encourager, whether you're the one who comes along with a check or a, a, an offering that will support ministry, whatever. We need to do this, you guys. Our Churches are sadly abandoning their role to reach our youth and children. And now's the time. Because the Lord will return and he'll ask us to give an account for what we did. He'll come to serve us. 
to show us his nail-scarred hands and to, and to remind us of all that he did for us and he will ask us what we have done in his time. There's a line that, that's in um, Spider-Man that says, with great power comes great responsibility. I'm often misquoted as to saying that, I'm, I'm, as if I'm saying that line when I say, to whom much is given, much is required. I can't tell you the number of times I've said to a guy, to whom much is given, much is required. He'll go, that's from Spider-Man. I'll go, no, that's Jesus. Spider-Man ripped it off Jesus. But it's right here in Luke chapter 12. To whom much is given, much is required. Now's the time. Make the investment. Be ready. Man, I am so, I'm so excited. I, I'm, I'm so, I don't know how to explain this. I'm, it's like, I, I didn't want to preach this sermon, but the more I got walking in the door this morning, the more I knew that it was where the Lord wanted me to preach today. Folks, now's the time to go forward. Amen? Amen? We can make a difference, but it's going to be costly. It's going to be sacrificial. But they're worth it. Hung out with Hunter on Wednesday. He was working for me, but we were hanging out. So worth every moment I got to spend with him. And there's thousands like him in Gainesville. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this congregation, Lord. I know in some ways I'm preaching to the choir because these are people who love kids and love youth and want to see made a change. But Father, I pray that when we are, we're, uh, we're tempted towards despair in the culture, Lord, that we'll remember your call to invest and to be ready. Lord, we thank you that there is a kingdom coming that guns can't destroy. Where sin is no more, where there'll be no weeping and crying. And, and Father, we pray that you would give us that vision and that you would help us to share that, that gospel vision with those that we come in contact where we Lord, I don't know how where to go from here. We, well, we pray that you'd guide and direct us. Pray that you'd move upon your people and that you'd move upon our leadership, that we would seek ways and that you'd bring us partnerships that would be effective for reaching out into the youth culture of our city and our county and beyond, Lord, that we would truly be an example to others. Lord, we just commit to you now your, your word and your people and we say thy kingdom come Thy will be done. Amen.